0: There's a Christian from North Korea, his name was young Sik, and Young-seek knew that if his faith was discovered, he could be imprisoned or killed. That's the sad reality that Christians face there. So like all believers in North Korea, he had to keep his faith a secret. A few Christians in America can really understand what it means to be alone in our faith. We have such free and easy access to other Christians that things like going to church becomes, for some of us, an obligation, uh, optional, becomes boring to us. But for believers in North Korea, gathering together with other Christians, it's a near impossible dream. Well, one day, Jung-sik was working in the fields of his small village, and while he was working, he whispered very quietly this prayer to himself. He said, Jesus How long will I have to live like this? Now, he knew that it was dangerous to pray. In fact, if he had known that that prayer would be heard, he wouldn't have even said that simple sentence. He had no idea that an older gentleman nearby did hear him. and That man's name was Byung-chul. Thankfully, that older man was also a Christian, secretly keeping his faith there in North Korea. And Byung Chul was filled with joy when he heard that prayer because he realized he had just found another believer. But he had to be sure that that was the case. So a few days later when he was in the fields, Byung Chul passed by the other man and he started humming the tune of a familiar Christian hymn. young Sikh immediately recognized the song and realized that this was another Christian that he was with. Both of the men looked around. They realized nobody was near him and they came very close to each other and started whispering about their faith. Young Chul invited Young Sikh to a secret underground church, meeting. it was the first time in years that that young man had been able to worship with other Christians. And I share this short account just to give us a glimpse into how Christians in North Korea have to live. Christians whose faith is discovered there, they face imprisonment, they face torture, they face death. It's estimated that today there's anywhere from fifty to 70,000 Christians imprisoned in North Korea simply because they're followers of Jesus Christ. The persecution in that country is so intense that worship with other believers is very rare. And when it happens, it's very secret. The persecution there is so intense that Christian parents fear sharing their faith with their children. because They don't know if their kids will slip up and say something. Open Doors USA says this. They say that life for Christians in North Korea is a constant cauldron of pressure. Because capture or death is just one mistake away. Now, of course, we don't live in the same tortured land as our brothers and sisters do in North Korea. But there is a lot that we can learn from them about faith, about endurance, perseverance, and about joy in worship. And in a similar way, we don't live in the same circumstances as Israel and the Promised Land thousands of years ago. But there's a lot that we can learn from them. That's because there is something that is the same for us. That's that while circumstances vary over time and places, God's people all live in a fallen land and in a fallen world. We live in a world that rejects God, that craves sin, and that cares very little for truth. There are many dangers and temptations that Christians can face, things that would keep us from living the life that Christ has called us to. So believers, we need... We need to learn how to live by faith in a fallen land. My prayer today is that we'll see a few practical ways to do that as we turn together to Joshua chapter 23. If you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to go ahead and turn there. Joshua 23. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 188. Page 188, Joshua 23. We're very close to finishing our series in the book of Joshua. And as chapter 23 opens, Joshua begins his farewell speeches to Israel. He had seen a lot in his life. And he had a lot to say to the Israelites as they inhabited this new land that was still occupied by enemies. So let's look together. Joshua 23, we're going to begin in verse 1. It says this. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Let's stop here for just a minute or two. Joshua knew that he wasn't going to be around much longer. And before he passed away, he wanted to instruct the nation. And you know what? This, This was somebody to listen to. Joshua was a wise man. He was a man faithful to God. And he'd experienced a lot of things. Keep in mind that Joshua had been born into slavery. He'd experienced oppression under the whips of the Egyptians. Then, as a young man, he saw how God powerfully delivered Israel from the hand of Pharaoh. He became the aide to Moses and witnessed how God guided Israel in the wilderness. How God gave them, and miraculously provided for them, manna and quailty, water to drink. And how God gave them direction on how to live as his people. Not only that, Joshua had also seen God's holy judgment on the times that Israel turned from God into idolatry and sin. Joshua, he had been around, and he was somebody that the people would be wise to listen to, just like we would be wise to listen to what he says. And even though he had seen far more than many of the people in Israel, Joshua reminds them of what they had seen God do. The Israelites had seen God powerfully defeat their enemies in the Promised Land. We've looked at a lot of that together in our series. Without God, the Israelites, they, would, they wouldn't have defeated these large armies and fortified cities, the battle-hardened Canaanites. So Joshua reminds me, he says, it was the Lord your God who fought for you. See, the truth was, they were only standing in this sweet land because God gave it to them. But remember, they weren't alone in the land. There were still enemies there. There were still people living there who hated Israel, who hated Israel's God. People who lived in all sorts of wicked practices, evil, was present in the land. Do you want to know something? Israel didn't need to be afraid of that fact. Instead, they could look to the God who gave them great victory in the past, the God who guaranteed them victory in the present, and they could move forward with confidence in him. In other words, what did Israel need to do as they lived in this land surrounded by sinful, fallen people? First, they needed to look to God. Israel needed to look to God. They needed to fix their eyes on Him. You see, by always looking with admiration of what God had done in the past, by always looking with eager expectation about what God would do and promise to do in the future, by always remembering the God who is faithful to His people, Israel... Would be better prepared to be a people faithful to God. Then they wouldn't be easily distracted by doubt and fear and the enemies all around them. That's because when we fix our eyes on something, we become a lot less distracted by what's around us. Now, Something that I learned a couple years ago is that we all technically have a small blind spot in both of our eyes. Now, it's not something that we would... Really notice, because the way God created us, both of our eyes work together to fill in the gap, so we see the whole picture. But there's a simple test that you can do to identify the blind spot. What you could do is you could put two dots on a card and you cover one of your eyes, and with the other eye, you focus on just one of those dots. As you slowly bring it towards your face, eventually the other dot seems to disappear. It enters the blind spot. Only the dot that you're focused on remains. Believers, when we focus on God, the closer that we get to Him in this life, eventually all the other distractions disappear. By focusing on God, we'll be better prepared to live for Him. So we need, like Israel, to look to God. We need to remember all of His goodness and all that He's promised us. We need to fix our eyes on Christ as we walk through a fallen land. and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Believers, we need to stay focused on Christ. We need to always look to the great things that he's done for us, his sacrifice on our behalf, because as we stay focused on him, we won't grow weary in this world filled with temptation and trial and tribulation. No, instead, we'll endure. But there's more that we need to do as we focus on our Savior in this life. Let's keep going in Joshua 23. Look at verse 6. Joshua continued, and he said, Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. For you are to hold fast to the Lord your God, as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. So next, Joshua tells them that need to be careful to follow everything written in the book of the law without turning aside to the right or to the left. Believers, are we very careful to obey everything written in God's word in the Bible? Or do we find ourselves turning aside to the right and to the left? It seems that many Christians today are not living faithfully and fully for the Lord. Not just because we're imperfect. We still deal with sin. We'll fall. We'll fail. But for many Christians, sin has become a constant part of their lives because they've welcomed sin in. They've turned aside to the right and to the left. They've created these gray areas. And they say that these sins are okay. We become content to follow some of God's laws and commands while ignoring others. So we think that well, as long as we don't murder or steal or gossip, then it's okay that we lust, take God's name in vain or covet. We call these things little sins. We figure that it's okay to allow them. But Joshua looked at the Israelites and he said, take God's law seriously, all of them. Do we take God's command seriously, all of them? And not just obeying when God says, don't do that. Do we obey when God says, go and do this? You see, full obedience to God doesn't just mean abstaining from sin, but it means obediently doing the things that God has called us to, like sharing the gospel, or serving Him, or living mercifully, or loving our enemies, praying for others, worshiping God. Do we take all these things seriously? God's commands show how His people are supposed to live in a fallen land. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to hunger and thirst for righteousness because you know what? The world doesn't. And neither did the Canaanites who are still in the promised land. So long as those nations were still there, they would be a force of temptation for Israel. Well, the Israelites would see how the Canaanites, they worshiped their gods wherever, whenever, however they wanted to. They would see how the Canaanites fulfilled every sinful desire that popped into their mind. Sounds kind of like our culture, our society, doesn't it? Joshua knew, he knew that if Israel was led astray by these things, they'd be destroyed. And Joshua knew how easily Israel could be led astray into idolatry. You want to know how he knew that? Because Joshua had been around the block a few times. He had witnessed the Israelites turn to idols multiple times in the wilderness. Our hearts aren't just prone to wander into sin, they're prone to wander into false worship. We might not carve our idols out today, but whatever takes the place that God deserves in our hearts, those are the things that become our idols. So many of us today, we worship entertainment, we worship pleasure, we worship work, our hobbies, sports, all those things that take priority over God in our lives, those are our idols. So what are we supposed to do? What do we do of temptation and idolatry is all around us? How do we live God's way in a sinful and idolatrous world? We do it the same way that Israel would. Joshua said, be very careful to love the Lord your God. Believers, we need to love God if we want to live by faith in a fallen land. You see, believers, when we fall deeply in love with God, we will want to obey Him. When we love Him, we won't want to wander off into idolatry. We won't want to live in constant unrepentant sin. In fact, when we do fall short, we'll be heartbroken. We'll be from him. We'll be quick to run back into his arms. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 22. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You want to know why all the law and the prophets hang on these two? Because when we're very careful to love the Lord our God, we'll desire to live His way. And as we love Him, we'll start to love the ones that He loves, which means that we won't easily fall into sinning against one another. The more we fall in love with the Savior, the more we will be found living for Him, the world will still try and entice us to lure us away into idolatry and sin, but we won't want to betray the One who we love. And when I fell in love with Casey, we we were dating long distance for a while in college, and I would long to see her. I oh, would count down the days. I had an app that would count down the days. But every conversation we had was, was precious to me. My love for her was greater than my love for basketball or friends or anything else. If Casey called, I'd ditch my friends. I walked out of a movie theater one time just to talk to her because I love I spending time with her. But even as I thought about that this past week, I had to ask myself, can I describe my love for God that way? Do I long to be with him like that? Do I throw all the other distractions away so that I can spend time with Him? I had to ask myself, what do I let get in the way of being with God? Because those are the things. Believers, we need to look to God. We need to love God. And then Joshua said this in verse 12. He said, but if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you. And if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. And instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs, thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the Lord's good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened. And so the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. So Joshua's speech ends here with a warning. Remember, the Israelites were still supposed to get rid of the enemies that remained in the land, even though they were at peace right now. That's because there was a danger if they failed to do this. And the danger was that over time, Israel would let their guard down. That they joined together with these pagan nations. I mean, it doesn't take long for hostile feelings to turn to a reluctant peace. Then you become willing trade partners. And then there are terms of friendship. And then you just let bygones be bygones. And you know what? Then you start intermarrying with each other. What was the problem with this? Why was this dangerous for them? Church, don't forget that the people in the promised land were so desperately wicked in all the things that they did, that the ones who didn't flee had been condemned to the punishment of death, that God's just and holy judgment had come on them. See, these weren't people for Israel to cozy up to. When God's people let their guard down and become influenced by sinful relationships, the end result is our own destruction. Joshua knew that if Israel intermarried with the Canaanites, that their hearts would be turned toward pagan gods, wicked practices. Then Israel would face all the consequences those nations in the land had faced. They'd be destroyed. And in that we find the danger that God's people have always faced. And the danger is becoming comfortable with the evil that's all around us. We become comfortable with it. And then, instead of pointing people to Christ, we become conformed to the pattern of this world. We become comfortable with evil, and then instead of influencing people for Jesus, the world influences us. And we start to live like those who don't know God. You see this all the time today. It's a danger God's people face. This is why so many so-called churches today openly promote hatred and sexual sins of all kinds and the abandonment of God ordained marriage and the sanctity of life, it's because they've cozied up to the world. It's because they've allied themselves with wickedness. It's because they've forgotten the warning of James chapter 4 that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. It's spiritual adultery. Yet so many Christians they want to have their faith and be accepted by the world. But it doesn't work that way, believers. We were meant to be bright lights in a dark world. Instead, so many of us, we want to hide our spiritual light in the hope that the world will accept us. We've decided that it's better to cozy up with society than walk in intimacy with our Savior. But we fail to realize sometimes that our friendliness with sin is what has created this lukewarm faith and ineffective churches in a corrupt society. So believers, what are we supposed to do? Well, like Israel, we need to look to God, we need to love God, and believers, we need, we need to look out for evil in this life. We need to be on guard. Listen to the warning that we are given in 1 Peter chapter 5. We are told, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Believers, we need to be on guard and look out for evil in this life. Now, that doesn't mean that we shun the world. That doesn't mean that we can't have unsaved friends. It doesn't mean that we have to live as hermits. It means that we need to make sure we are impacting the world for Christ. But in order to do this, we have to be on guard. Because you see, our enemy is always looking for ways that we will grow comfortable with sin and let him in and then live like the world because you know, those are Christians the devil can get along with. Church, we live in a fallen land and in a fallen, broken world. That means that there are many things that can keep us from living for God if we aren't careful. So believers, to avoid the distractions, focus on Christ. Don't fall in love with sin. Fall in love with the Savior. Spend time with Him in prayer and Scripture and worship. Evaluate your heart this morning and ask if Jesus is the supreme focus of worship in your life or if you've allowed idols to come into your heart. Don't fall prey to the lifestyle of sin. Instead, let's live in righteousness. The truth this morning is this, church. Pursuing Christ is how we make the most of life in a fallen land. We must pursue Christ. We must live for Him. The question is, believers, what can you do to better pursue Him this week? What can you do to push aside all the things that distract you from being with the Lord? I would encourage you this morning, during our final time of invitation, this final song, to evaluate your heart, to evaluate your life. Ask what idols there might be. Confess those to the Lord. Get rid of those in your life. Consider how you can pursue him this week like you've never pursued him before. If you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, please understand, you know, Joshua said he was about to go the way of all the earth. He was about to die. In fact, the Bible says that there are two guarantees for every single person. The Bible says it's guaranteed each person wants to die, and then the judgment. In other words, like Joshua, we will go the way of all the earth, and then the moment will come where we stand before God. And you need to understand that it's our sin, all those bad things we do, those things are separating us from God. And if those things are not taken care of in this life, then when we stand before him at the end of this life, we will be separated forever from him in a place of torment called hell. And we can't make up for our sin in this life. I'm of good works, going to church, giving your money, time, anything. These things cannot earn us a spot in heaven. That's the bad news. The good news is that in his great love for you and me and this whole broken world that rejects him, God sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus came and died on the cross. And when he did that, he was taking the punishment we deserve for sin. Jesus died, and he was buried, but three days later, he powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he is who he said he is. He's no mere man. No, he's the Son of God, and he's the Savior. He's the only one who can save us from the penalty of hell, And he's been waiting your whole life to do that for you. The Bible says that whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friend, if Jesus is not your Savior, don't go to Jesus for an easy life. We're not guaranteed that. I hope I've made that clear this morning. Don't go to Jesus for an easy life. Go to him because he's the only one who can give you eternal life. He's the only one who can save you from hell. He's the only one who can guarantee that when this life is over, you'll be with him forever. And I want you to understand that you can give your life to him now before you leave. Would you pray with me? If that's where you're at, if you know that Jesus isn't your savior, never given your life to him, you never received that forgiveness, Please understand, you can come and talk to me during this final invitation song. We can talk about that. We can pray together. Find me after the service. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Christ, please know that you can do that. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done, Jesus has been waiting your whole life to save you. And you can go to him in prayer right now. Admit to him that you know that you're a sinner. But did you believe he died on the cross for your sins? That he rose from the dead? Ask him to forgive you and to be your savior. And I promise you, on the authority of God's word, he'll save your soul. Dear Heavenly Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have given our lives to Christ, I pray that we would all understand this life is going to be difficult. Living for you in a fallen, broken, sinful world isn't going to be easy, but it's what you've called us to. I pray that you'd help us to learn from our brothers and sisters all over the world what it means to endure in our faith, to persevere. Help us to be bright lights pointing people to Christ. Help us not to be ashamed of our faith. No, help us to be obedient to you follow your commands, not to turn aside to the right or to the left. When we fall and fail, just be quick to run back to your arms. Help us to be a church that focuses on you, that loves you, and is on guard against the evil that's all around us. Give each of us the opportunity when we leave this place to share the gospel with someone. And Father, I pray that there's anyone here who still hasn't made that decision, to give their life to Christ, that they wouldn't leave before they talked to someone about that. Father, we love you. You proved long ago when you sent your son that you love us more. We thank you for that.